everybody. Here we What's are. Going? We're awake. We're alive. Yeah. <laughs> Faces are a bit swollen. Eyes just a little bit closed too much. James pointed out the ravagedness of my voice in the pre-AM hours. Yeah. Well, you know what I think it is, is that I think Rob uses his voice so much throughout the course of the day that it's – you know, he really needs the recovery time to get it back to normal. And it probably doesn't get on to where it's supposed to be until around noon for you. Probably. That you've kind of warmed it up. It depends because sometimes like if I'm outside, like on my walk and my run in the morning, talking to myself the whole time, like a psychopath. So <laughs> that, that kind of warms it up. Um, but I just woke up, you know, uh, 25 minutes, uh, 35 minutes ago. So the coffee will help, but Hey, this is our first pre-tape episode. So thank you guys for tuning in in the future. Yes. <laughs> Welcome this, to the future. This will be airing on April 21st. Hopefully by the time you see this, I've had an epic conversation with Steve Vai and our best friends. And he sent me 17 <laughs> gems and it's great. Nice. And uh, I'll be 38. But today I'm still 37. And we're going to talk about one of my favorite Dream Theater albums of all time. Yeah, same. But uh, before we do that, I think it's important we ask ourselves, what's in the... What what's in there? That's right. <laughs> so what's in the glass, gentlemen? Are we drinking like just straight uh, methamphetamines at this hour? Yes. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Black tar heroin. Uh, so, oh, go ahead, Brian. No, no, go ahead, man. Do it. I uh, I made an espresso espresso pod, and Ooh. I added a mess of ice to it. Uh, some half and half. You just did your thing. Oh, you could hear that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It sounded so <laughs> yeah, you let a demon in the room, something like that. <laughs> I just wanted to be prepared with something in my glass. Sorry. <laughs> I uh, I added half and half and two pumps of Irish cream syrup so I can get a hint of JMO in the morning. Oh, all right. Nice. Very you cool. Sh- you shook it a lot, didn't you? Oh, I very much did. And it's nice and like frothy and foamy and frothy. really, really good. Very good. I'm also having just coffee, man. So I have a uh, regular coffee in this sweet mug that Christy got me. I don't know if it was for birthday or Christmas, but it's got um, over forty different images, from iconic images that are uh, from different movies. So yeah, they're all numbered. So if you don't know what it is, you kind of look on the bottom. I not gonna tilt the silver and kind of tells you like Terminator, Rocky, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, things like that. Oh so, man, challenge accepted. I want that. Oh uh, yeah, dude, it's pretty cool. So you can see like a you little know, chest buster in there. Uh, ear from <laughs> Reservoir Dogs. It's a sweet mug. And it's a great conversation piece. You know. Now, when you were just explaining it, how much willpower did it take to not tilt it over to demonstrate? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, check it out. <laughs> I saw it coming. I saw it coming. Well, I too have <laughs> coffee I've just created. Folder's special dark roast. Because it is the best, it's the best part of waking up. Not always. Not always. I was part of a coffee of the month club. There was all these exotic, like you put in your coffee flavor profile you like, and they send yeah. you different um and blends and beans from around the world. Yeah. And I finished that. And then Sam is preferable to this. So this is what we had open. So mm. cheers, cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Growing up cheers. It's like we're at, it's like we're at the diner in the morning. Right? I know, up. right? After a whole night of partying. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you say that. I had a conversation with, uh, with my family this past week. And um, they were asking me why I was still intent on um, – being so being like extra cautious during COVID and everything like, Oh, you're, you're going to be fully vaccinated soon. Why don't you go out and do something? And I'm like, it doesn't really work like that. And just this past week, there's been a lot of articles on people 
still getting sick despite the fact that they got the vaccine. Breakthrough so, cases. Yeah. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being extra careful. I think that's a good idea. And on top of that, I can leave my house and within one mile of leaving my house, I will see some act of humankind that will disappoint me. So I'm really okay with not doing anything or going anywhere because I don't want to be disappointed in humanity all the time. Yeah, the idiots are winning. But there are some things that I do miss from going out. Case in point, going to a diner yeah. with my friends and having a cup of coffee. Absolutely. I feel like that would be very, very nice. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's worth the disappointment along the way to have a good time. But while we're on the topic of coffee, have you seen there's a lot of bands that are doing like coffee blends, getting affiliated with different, you know, uh, I know Code and Camry is one of them. I mean, there's, there's Periphery a, has one too. Periphery, yeah. yep. There's a, just a litter of them. But did you see uh, they have an Army of Darkness? Uh, I did. That's, you saw that? that's Bones Coffee Company, right? Is, yeah, I is, think so. Yeah. I, I like, keep oh, trying their stuff. Very tempted. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, sometime in the next six to eight months, maybe there's going to be a uh, Rob School Music brand of coffee. Who knows? Maybe. I, I was just going to, I was, thought about asking. I was like, oh, wait, maybe I shouldn't because it's maybe under wraps. It's still in the very, very, very early, early. You know, it might not be anything, but just, just the thought of it is pretty cool. So, yeah, it's so awesome. I'll, I'll cool. totally rock your whole bean. <laughs> yeah. I bet you will. Maybe, maybe a bean and a half. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, what are we talking about today, guys? Dream Theater Images and Words from '92. Their their um, it's their second release uh, from their first first album. Um, it's a, it's a great album. So I I had uh, bought just because I knew I got introduced from Dream Theater from you two, and right. um, I bought what was it the next album? Was it Awake? Was Awake. It, yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. So I had, I had Awake, um, and I like that album. And then I think it was um, James and. You had said, like, you got to get Images Word. And then, Rob, you're like, yeah, definitely got to get Images Word. So you had had it. So I borrowed it from you. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is a killer album. So that's how Brian, I got introduced to this album. Brian, does your version of Awake have a sticker from the wall on the case? Absolutely. Yes. I remember. Yeah. I remember not, so this is something. <laughs> Undertow does, too. <laughs> this is something that, like, it's funny because I was watching a video. Quick quick tangent tying into this concept. Yeah. Um, I watched this guy on YouTube who's a, just a video game guy. Uh, metal jesus rocks shout out um seems like a bizarro world version of james if james just went all video games like long hair just like super passionate about just but just one thing yeah but he has this other girl on and they were talking about like pet peeves of collecting uh because they're like these are people who collect like entire sets like every switch game that came in every P uh, ns nes game like you know what i mean like yeah. full full blown and um one of the biggest pet peeves is the stickers on the cases yes. and certain companies like they're in Seattle. So there's people like Microsoft employee stickers that they stick on the case. That's with a certain adhesive that no matter how much goo gone you put on won't come off. And that made me think of the, the wall stickers ruining this like the that walls, matters. Yeah. The walls and the, uh, the little rainbow hologram uh, dog bone mm -hmm. that that sticker sometimes would never come. Up. What I figured out is if you would get this sticker, if you can get the uh, wrapping, the seal off the CD pretty good. You use it as a sticker and just go like that, like stick it and like oh. press it and pull it. It would do it, but sometimes it wouldn't with that dog bone one. It would just be on there for and it would drive me nuts because then lint, dog hair, everything from your house would just get stuck to you. And you're like, yeah, yeah, this is my dirty ass CD. You know, this is <clears throat> even more of a tangent, and I'm sorry about that. But I found out very early in life that isopropyl alcohol, 90% is your yes. friend. It yeah. gets everything off, but in the case of CD cases. 
uh, it generally you have like this pretty Good brand call. new glossy case and it dulls that spot. So it's like, I got the sticky stuff off. I still ruined the case. <laughs> So. It's like the reverse version of what I did to that Telecaster I sold the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Oh, man. He's like on his way. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but this, this is, you know, for me, like, I didn't know this music at all. Like, this is such an especial part of my life when I just started playing guitar. Um, you know, James and I's friendship had transitioned from many things along the way you know, be it martial arts in the beginning at the model cars video games power rangers pogs swords all these different things but then when it hit music it like really just like went into warp speed and um in high school you know jake jake owen who's in periphery john petrucci's nephew was talking about this band giving us guitar picture i thought it was bs <clears throat> clearly it wasn't but i thought what was so special about this is it was recorded in our town Bear yeah, tracks. Like literally down yeah. the road. Like literally any Rob School of Music people here, like you could stand at Rob School of Music, hock really low. It'd take a, a good spin, but like put it to the base of your abdomen. <laughs> towards uh, 202 and you'd get about halfway there. It's about 10 minutes up the road, a little less, which is insane. It's Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of iconic uh, artists that have, uh, it's a small little, uh, It's if you guys go on, uh, look at Bear Tracks Studios and stuff in New York, um, it's a tight spot. Like it is beautiful on the inside. Spyro Gyra have recorded there, the Goo Goo Dolls, uh, even Anthrax. Anthrax did their um, We've Come For You All, 2003, their ninth. I believe John Lennon did something there. No, my memory. I believe what? that's the, that's a story. I don't know if it's true, so don't I didn't misquote. see it because I was looking up all the artists. I don't remember seeing his name. Yeah, could yeah. be wrong. It was, Maybe it was Urban Legend. One. Show's over, Rob Line. I gotta go. <laughs> I don't remember. I mean, uh, I, know Drew, I know Drew Kelly performed there a few times, so. Kelly. Um, In the control room. Nothing can control Drew Kelly. Nothing. <laughs> that is very true. Drew is an amazing human being. So um, how do we want to approach this today, guys? Do we want to talk uh, track by track or just uh, general factoids? Well, you know, I want to start off with giving people, because I mean, I think some people may not know the importance of Dream Theater. Some people may not even know who Dream Theater is. I, I think that, you know, it's important to note they're a progressive metal band. And if you listen to this album, I think you're going to be a little bit taken aback. If you're thinking metal, um, you're going to think, really? Uh, especially when you get to the second track of this. But it, this is a this is a metal album. It is, it is by fans, it's been voted as... Um, some of the, one of the one of the best metal albums of all time. Uh, Livewire did that back in 2013. Um, Images Words was ranked number seven by Guitar, Guitar World magazine as one of the top ten lists for guitar albums in '92 to come out. Rolling Stone even wrote, voted it as a hundred. Yeah, number seven, 2017. Yeah, the hell is number one? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, number uh, 2017. It was ranked 95, uh, 95th. Uh, Rolling Stones' hundred greatest metal albums of all time. So. You know, I mean, it's 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 an iconic album. I think kind of flies under the radar of most, you know, fans of music. I don't think they know about it, but it's it's a great album, and it's the first album to feature their new new vocalist, uh, James, uh, not James Marachi, but James <laughs> James Larry, uh as the vocalist, and it's 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 a great album. It really is. You know, I feel like a lot of musicians along the way, you know, when it comes to this type of music, they can be dismissive of the vocalist because they're so hyper-focused on whichever virtuoso in the band because there's more yep. than one they choose to focus on but i think on on all the albums but in this album i think that james brings the same amount of importance as every other guy in that band the vocals oh, yeah. the melodies that he soars yeah. he brings it down 
I mean, and then if you, you know, it's not the purpose, but like, then you get into the next record, uh, you know, something like, uh, what, 6 a.m. is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, there's grit now in his voice. Now he's, yeah. more, yeah. he's like alternative rock, James. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. He compliments their music really well. And I wrote that in one of the, my notes as, about like, he just does a really good job of uh, the way it almost is the way, and I'm not making the comparison in any way, shape or form. So I'll take this too seriously, but the way Robert Plant could mimic um, Jimmy Page's rhythm when he was playing rhythm or even the solos, like he just did a really good job complimenting. They all did. And that, that chemistry is in this band too. They just, they, these musicians are phenomenal musicians. It's almost like listening to some of your best studio um artists come together you know sorry that was the waitress giving me a warm-up on the cup no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> you want a refresher <laughs> waitress <Never. laughs> um something to, to comment on james's voice is uh if you dig a little deep into the band uh you would find there may have been some turmoil with some of the members because yeah. from images and words forward there's one video you can watch on youtube and i love dream theater um, but you can watch this video of them performing from the first tour of it off of uh, images and words and then all the way through to maybe like um, Octavarium and watch them play Pull Me Under. And James's performance gets less and less and less and less and less per mm-hmm. year. And yeah. I'm not holding that against him because his range is so extreme mm-hmm. that h- how does it go any other way? I, I right. feel like when you push as hard as some of these late eighties, early nineties vocalists did, your voice has no choice but to suffer in some regard. I, yeah. There are certain people that have like circumvented that, like Devin Townsend's voice never really degraded. And I don't know how that's humanly possible, but Jeff Tate from Queensryche is another big one that just in time, while he was still with the band, they kept tuning down more and more and more to keep up with how his voice couldn't keep up with, a yeah, regular which I, I don't fault Jeff Tate's a good example there because the new singer, uh, Todd, whatever, who's actually in Queens right now, and Jeff has his own uh, right. mind crime band, Queen, Queens right V2, which was shooting, <laughs> shitting all over um, Jeff Tate because it's like, well, if you can't sing it the way it was sung, don't sing it anymore. It's like, F you, we're humans. Like, this is an instrument that degrades over time. Listen yeah. to my voice for after, on a Saturday after talking a week. Imagine singing like an opera singer. Yeah, for yeah. two hundred dates a year, you know it's and some of over time it gets seasoned in a different way, and it, it's kind of it's nice it's, it's to hear that maturity. James, you wrote that in the article about uh, Taylor Swift. I think Jerry, uh, Je- oh my god, Joey Belladonna from uh, Anthrax. His Who are you gonna name, say, Jerry Cantrell? Jerry, Jerry Cantrell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, his voice is seasoned. It's not the same as it used to be either from from years of touring. I mean, it still has some of that that harmony to it. But Joey's a great example of that. I don't think it's gotten to the point where you're like, eh, you can't do it anymore. Steven Tyler is one of those ones like, don't, you know, I don't think, I don't think it works as well. I was surprised to find out in, in researching this uh, album a little bit more, there was a lot of marked tensions in this, in this album with the producer, which I didn't know about. So originally this album was supposed to be uh, a double album. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And Atco, the, the, the record company rejected it. So there's obviously several songs that were tossed from this album that would have been, you know, on do, here do yeah you think later, they got migrated to awake or? they did so they uh they a did. change okay. of seasons was later re-recorded and released on the ep of the same name in 95 so some of those things did kind of mm. get popped up somewhere else or they've shown up live but yeah it's really interesting that the the producer they really really bumped heads with and and the record company were just kind of d's you know uh about about this record which is considering how it came out that's pretty cool like you don't hear that sometimes you could hear that like user illusions you could hear the band falling apart 
Right. You don't hear yeah. those tensions come through. If anything, it, oh. it, they've set a fire under their asses and, and produced a, a far more intense, fiery album. You know what I think? Well, I'm sorry, James. I'll no, go ahead, go ahead. I think, you know, all over the place, but Pull Me Under, which I think you referenced a few moments ago. You know, for like someone watching this who's like a metal progressive fan and a Liquid Tension Experiment just had their new record come out yesterday, which yes. is yeah. and Portnoy. I can't wait to hear that. Um, Pull Me Under was on Headbangers Ball. Yep. They played yep. that video on MTV. So like yeah. imagine like a Dylan Rackley or a current progressive music fan turning on MTV and mixed in with that day's era of Lamb of God and Megadeth and so on. There's a progressive song. Like Pull Me Under is a long song. I mean, it's yeah. yeah. Really cool. And I learned that from James. I remember watching Headbangers Ball tapes with you. I guess, Laura, you had taped them. And I was yep. like, what? So cool. Yeah. Well, let's just jump into Pull Me Under. I mean, that song enters. It's such a beautiful precision. I mean, but the underlying power that's there, it oh, foreshadows. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I got go James off. Oh, yeah, and sorry. I did it again. <clears throat> it's it's all good. There was one thing I wanted to mention about um, inner struggles and turmoils within the band. Yeah. That, um, this and Awake are Kevin Moore's last albums with the band. Right. And these are my last two favorite albums of Dream Theaters. Um, I like the stuff that comes after. Uh, I get to a point and I don't really like some of the new stuff, like how we've all said that there's certain albums that we just kind of lose interest in a band. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that was Octavarium. I, I, after that, this didn't really do much for me. But I think Dream Theater's sound to me is defined by images and words completely. And I think a big part of that is Kevin Moore. Um, And when he was struggling in and out of the band during the Awake sessions, I think you can hear that in Awake because it's not quite as cohesive as Images and Words is. And then when you get to the following album, Kevin Moore's not there. He's, I miss him a lot. Like what he brings with the the whole synth and piano and everything is something that Jordan Rudess and Derek Sherinian amazing players amazing musicians and they don't do what kevin moore did for this band and it's so unfortunate to me i think that more than anything that's what changed dream theater for me was not having his sound as be a part of the band you know it's interesting because i think like sharinian and definitely not degrading either one of these people i loved oh yeah um, the the burning my soul and that record with Derek sharinian is fantastic and then the Jordan stuff, he's a, a, just a wizard. But there was something organic about... Or wizard the, Harry. You know, uh, but, uh, the buttons aren't working. I got it for you, brother. I got you thank back. You, thank <laughs> you. Good job, um, Hagrid. There is something organic about what he was doing, especially on like the solos, um, the stuff in Metropolis, the stuff in Pull Me Under, yeah. just what's happening. It like It's very symbiotic with the guitar versus like, I'm a guitarist and I shred. I'm a keyboard player and I shred. It's like, no, we're a band and we shred. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like I, I feel like it was very, very well said right there that like I feel like it was much more complimentary of the whole band when Kevin Moore was a part of it. And now with Jordan Rudess, I feel like it's a it's a measuring contest between him and John Petrucci that they, they just throw back and forth between between each other way too much. And it's it's not what it was about. And I feel like it yeah. takes something away from the overall product and now. At the level of virtuosity with those guys, no one's going to win that. They're endless wines. <laughs> like it just keeps going. It's like a great roll of wine. Like you're just not going to win. It you know, really, really is the case. You know, they're, they're just do? monsters. Is put this in context. So, Rob, you brought up Headbangers Ball uh, with you and James and, and those, you know, those tapes. You know, if you think about it, this came out in 92. So you can hear a tremendous amount of growth from their debut sophomore 
to their debut to the sophomore release. So think about it. They had an original, uh, their original vocals on the first album. So there's, there's, there's something to adjustment here to make such an iconic record with a brand new vocalist that that's a hard adjustment. The tensions that were happening in the recording process, this came out in 92. And <clears throat> if you think about that, the production is far superior, right? To when dream and, and, and now, uh, so from when, when Dream and, and Day Unite to this album, think about like Pretty Hate Machine in 89 also came out around this time. So you think about like what was coming out at this time. This is, you know, that late 80s, early 90s. Like this is pretty in your face, different music yeah. that's like coming out here. You know, like this is some different metal. Like there's you have glam metal going on at this time. This is a different sound, you know. I don't think people realize that it was, it's an iconic band. I think it did a lot for progressive metal and just and, and metal in general. Absolutely. Yeah. That's actually, uh, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. Um, I don't know if this is a tangent or not, but can either of you name anything that sounds like this album? I was trying to make some comparisons. I have some, um, there's songs in here where I'm like, Oh, who is it? Hey, hold on a second. Where is it? It's uh oh here it is. So on uh, Metropolis Part One, the Miracle and the Sleeper, this is the only one I hear Guns and Roses being directly influenced by this song, and it's evidence within Chinese Democracy's Raid and the Bedouin, uh, and the Bedouins. Huh. Listen to that song, and then listen to the beginnings of Metropolis, and you're like, oh wow, somebody was directly influenced by that. Now I'd have to go back because it was like I don't even know how many friggin' guitarists that played on guitar, uh, you know, Chinese Democracy. Was it Buckethead that was influenced by that? Was it Bumblefoot? Well, I mean, name name the guitarist. They had a lit. There's just a suitcase of guitars for that album. You know, so, it, like, it could have been about Bumblefoot. I think though, so. He plays with Mike Portnoy and um, right. So that's what I was thinking. Sons of Apollo. Yeah. Right. So I didn't have a chance to bring uh bring the the liner notes up from from Chinese to kind of see. Wow. But yeah, go listen to it, and I guarantee you, you'll be like, oh, you got to make look that at that circle. Up. Damn. Yeah. Wow. Well done. But that's the you only know, thing I can think of. I can, but I'm sure people have been influenced. But there is no other album that sounds like this. This is a unique yeah. album for its time. I think since then there's been albums that you'd be like, oh yeah, these are these are Dream Theater lovers. These are Mike Portnoy fans. You know, you could hear it, but I don't think at that time. You know, before we get into because we should start picking on some songs. I think as yeah. musicians, <laughs> well, no, but this is good. I mean, we were worried yeah. about you know. Not, I mean, this this is gonna this is great. Um, I love. All of the guitar sounds. There's not a guitar sound on this album I don't like. Right. The the diversity of what he's accomplishing it made me instantly scour reverb for a guitar I don't need. <laughs> Rob, I swear to God, you get one of those things before I do, and I'm going to kill you. You know the cycle. I'll buy it. I'll sell it to you. It's all I'm good. Strangle you with Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll rephrase. If you buy it and you do not sell it to me for a fair price, I will kill you. <laughs> but but I'm going to say something controversial now. Uh oh. I don't love the drum tone on every single song. Yes. That's yeah. Fair. It's sometimes they sound great and huge and big and other times they sound very triggered and it's the same snare hit every time and they get lost. Well, there's a reason for that. So I think that um, I was recently, I don't know if I put this in my notes because I was trying to keep it. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Can I, can I say one more thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when I first got this album, I bought it at the Nanuet Mall, whichever the music store. Oh no, Palisades Mall, the music store there, whatever that one was called on the third floor. FYI, FYI. Yeah, yeah. And I get in the car with my dad and I was so excited because, you know, Jake and James had turned me on to this. And I was like, listen, the singer sounds a little bit like um, my dad likes Journey. So I said, he sounds a little bit like Steve Perry. 
but the drummer is really great. My dad's a drummer. And he's like, the drums sound triggered and terrible. And that always stuck with me. I didn't agree at the time because I'm like 13. I'm like, F you. You don't know anything. But now listening. <laughs> I know all. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's like a staleness. So I'm sorry. That was the end of that story. No, it's great that you said that. So I, I forgot to put it on my notes, but one thing I was reading about, because I was curious, I'm like, what was it that the producer's name is David Prater? Uh, um, what was it that caused such tension? Aside from the fact that they did eliminating the band, not just him, but also the record, eliminating the band's creative intentions of making this a double album, which just think about that, because this is already an epic album with its, you know, eight tracks. Um, what, what was one of the things? One of the things is he, him and uh, Mike Portnoy, clashed with about how the drums should be recorded and him kind of just doing what he wanted to do with that. And I think that's why you hear that kind of sound on some of those tracks. It kind of limited Mike, which is interesting because if you listen to Mike in any other iteration, whether it's this band session work, other bands, that's it's, he's one of the best drummers out there. Like he's, he's up there with like near Peart, <laughs> Neil Peart. Um, Peart. So it's interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting about that. Yeah. Now I'd be curious to listen to something else that uh, that Prater produced to see if he overly compressed the drums there as well. That's, that's what I wanted. His, his sound as a yeah. producer. I got to pull that up. I, yeah, I should have pulled that up. What, the only other thing that I don't like about this album, like, uh, Rob, that's really funny that you pointed that out because the drums didn't sit with me, sit well with me in a couple tracks. But um, I didn't like how, I don't know who decided, I don't know if it was a producer or the band, the, the order of tracks. I think going from such a powerful, powerful, Pull me under. You're like, once that song comes in, you're like, where's this going? It's beautiful. But you can feel that, like I said, underlying power that it has. And it's kind of, you know, oh, something's about to unfold here. And when it does, you're like, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. And the way it just abruptly ends, you're like, oh, no, come back. Where did you go? <laughs> ends in the middle of a measure. Yeah. And it's just like, and they've asked him about that. And my point, I said, we had, we had all this tension and just kept building and building and building. We had no idea where to take it. So we just decided to pull the plug out like the Beatles did, which she's so heavy. And I was like, ah, what a great tip of the hat. That's great. But then you come in with the second track and it's not a bad track. Cause I love another day. I think that's a terrible placement for that. I think to go from pull me under to, to this, this kind of ballad that has and nothing against it having a saxophone. I think that's what makes this band so great is they're, they're. Was well, that not Jay Becker? It's Jay Beckenstein. Yeah. He, yeah. He, Beckenstein. He, yeah. Beckenstein. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's it's great that they always show this type of growth. We're going to throw a saxophone here. We're going to do this. We're going to very keyboard heavy solo here. We're going to do this here. We're going to have. So I think that their courage to do those things is always something I've loved about them. I think that putting another day right there in the second track, I don't think that it ever fit, fit well for me. And, and listening to it years later, again, I'm like, no, it still doesn't fit for me. Like, I think it would go somewhere better somewhere else. That's I love that song, though. I do. Love I do, that. too. I just don't like it there. I don't think going from that song abrupt end to that, if that play it this way. Play that album again. Play track one when it abruptly ends. Immediately skip to three and tell me it doesn't feel better. And then throw and then throw another day somewhere else. It fits better. You know, it's funny. I feel like when I first got into this band and when I first got this album, and I was like, just it was the only thing that I listened to for for weeks and months on end. Yeah, I would have agreed with you completely on that statement. Okay. Yeah. Because I I wanted pull I wanted eight tracks to pull me under. Right. <laughs> this is what yeah. I wanted. It's not but, a heavy album. No. No. Yeah. No. 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 It undulates, but, where like it comes in, you're like it just hits you. It's like it's like being in a fight. A couple jabs, jabs, boom. There's the hook. You're like, oh, all right. But listening to it these past couple of days, uh, I found myself appreciating the structure of it so much more. Mm. That uh, I I loved that another day was there because it really, like you just said, like it goes up, takes you down a little bit, up, takes you down a little bit, and 
I feel like it kind of crescendos on that upward movement on Metropolis and then starts to just peter down before yeah. you get to the end of the album. But uh, I, I found myself really liking the way it was structured on these past couple days re-listening to it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. But I, 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 interesting. I, I, yeah. No, I mean, it's, I can see both ways. I just, for me, I, even if it was track three, I just think it would, it would flow, for me, it would flow a little bit better. But yeah, ultimately, I love this album. I, I, it's a great album. <laughs> You know, it's uh, Metropolis was the first song that like I fell in love with and then went backwards and then the pull me under story. Um, but now listening back to it as a more mature uh, worldly musician, I guess, I still listen to it and I say, holy crap, how do you write something like that? How do you oh, do yeah. that? How do you memorize all those parts and all the changes and the time changes and the, oh my God. it's just insane. Masterpiece. And you know, it's, I, I have a distinct memory of like uh, the first time listening to Images and Words. I had it on cassette and uh, listening all the way through up to that point and then flipping the tape over and listening to Metropolis and just shaking my head the entire time. And I like went all the way back to the beginning and re-listened to Metropolis. And for a long period of time, it became my favorite song on the album because it was the first time as a as a person as a human being as a musician as whatever you want to call it it might have been before i started playing guitar that i listened to something and said i don't think a human being could do that <laughs> like i i don't understand how it was possible for someone to move their fingers that quickly or to like rob just said like to create something like that and mm -hmm. actually do it and then like i have something to show later on but to see live performances of that song it's perfect like yeah how the hell does that happen like like the lightning in a bottle because you know on like the recording they probably double or triple track some of that stuff so they had to play it perfectly those times in the studio in time when there's no room for error and then they just do it live like it's just yeah whatever we do this yeah we've been, been doing me... it for 30 years who cares right no big deal <laughs> this this album's directly responsible for opening me up to session players and, and just broadening my mind broaden your mind gentlemen um <laughs> you see how i tied it all in for you, you guys, gentlemen let's broaden our minds uh i just i i don't know where i was going with that <laughs> oh man oh yeah like like you said like just the, the, their precision their, their prowess their technique it got me into things like finding other artists that like i may have not necessarily gotten into if it wasn't for dream theater finding terry bozio tony levin finding these right. other artists and, and you know the long island drum center in, in nyack new york helped me with that too just being in there for drum lessons and and you know talking to greg and 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 finding out about like different bands and like him listening to things and drumming along like dream theater was another one he, he would drum along to or like other bands I was like what is this he's like that's terry bozio brother and i'm like oh and he would just throw on the video and you're like oh oh there are other oh this is not just in dream theater oh man and then you just go on the rabbit hole you just go down that hunt and like i gotta find other stuff and some of it you're like it's not for me but you find so much stuff and this band really opened me up to that i think also like you know in the 90s like let's say you stumble on this band so let's say i got hit to this band late 90s mm -hmm. you still didn't have the ability to go down the hold as easily as you can oh, now. So it took oh, teachers yeah. doing this. I remember going to my guitar lesson and, and Ryan was like, oh, you like that? Check this out. Same exact experience with you yep. in the drum lessons or, you know, a new guitar world came in the mail and then it's or like, your oh, friends. yeah. Cause they, cause I'm all my friends had older siblings or were older than me, I should say, or both or one or the other. 
So. <laughs> More coffee. Um, but now it's like virtu virtuosic musicians are everywhere. And yeah. you just go on Instagram and you search through it. And I'm going to pontificate for just a second. Don't be intimidated by that. And I don't know if I've said this before on here, but if you're a young player and you see someone on Instagram who's doing something that you feel like you'll never be able to do, well, I felt like I'd never be able to do what John Petrucci could do. Sometimes I still feel that way, but it didn't scare me. It inspired me to try or take a little bit of him and a little bit of this guy, a little bit of that guy make me. But a lot of these kids or players in general will see these people playing on Instagram, just doing things that seem impossible. Well, let's lift up the curtain. I'm going to say 80% of the time it is impossible. They already recorded it. They're playing along to themselves. They're miming. They speed it up. There's a lot of wizardry going on that wasn't going on when this record was going on. So if you see something that you think is too good for you to ever be able to do, you got to choose to be inspired by that. Don't let it intimidate you because you'll be able to do something equally as good as your own. I can make one note make you cry in the same way that one of these guys could make a thousand notes make you cry. It's all about the emotion and the love behind it. But yeah, that's, that's a great, that's I'll a great sentiment. Stop, stop mid-measure. No, I, <laughs> pull me under. Uh, <laughs> that's a great sentiment. And the other thing too is I, I think don't, ego is, is the mother of all, mm. like just dissolve that ego. Don't allow your ego to tell you like, ah, I, I, all right, looking at, looking at James play that, like I'll never, you know, looking at this, yeah. now. just dissolve the ego. Just go for it, man. Just go for broke. Understand that the first seven, eight, 10, 20, 100 tries is going to suck and sound yeah. horrible, but just keep at it, man. Just keep at it. Well, and maybe to, you won't get there, but you'll find your sound. You'll find your niche. You'll find your pocket. You're like, oh, damn, that's well, to, where my heart lies. All right, cool. To give James a little bit of a, a blow his head up a bit, I mean, playing in a band with him when I first started, you know, James was the best guitarist in the school. Tom was the best drummer in the school, and I was not the best guitarist nor the best singer. So I was sitting across from a guy who could put on a Dream Theater record, a Pink Floyd record, a Rage record, a Nine Inch Nails oh, record, man. a Corn record, and just like fall in love with it and master the catalog in a week. You know? It was disgusting, and at the same it's, time, it's just, so uplifting to watch James. I'm like, we should cover this. Right. Like, what? First but like that's <laughs> like I'm a, that's a real world example of being a practitioner of that. Never with a few hiccups along the way, but most of the time, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, I looked across and I said, I'm lucky to have someone like that to push me to be better. Yeah. Versus like, I'll never be any good. So when you see a player that's better than you, you know, maybe one day you won't be better. Maybe you'll be equal down the road, but it's, 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 we're all on the same team kind of. So when you see music like this, that's just so virtuosic. Is that the word? Isn't there a movie virtuosity? Denzel Washington. Yeah. I just watched it the other day. It's very good. There's like blue wires or so. Yeah. Yeah. Crow's first Russell Crowe's. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just watched that too. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, on, it's on Amazon prime. I was like, yeah, it's a bit dated with the uh, CGI. Some, some movies you go back and like, <laughs> At the time, oh, I, it was I, so revolutionary. <laughs> yeah. That one just didn't hold the test of time that the, 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 the uh, special effects, but there's been other ones. I watched something recently where the, uh, the CGI was kind of new on the scene. I was like, all right, this, this still holds up. Yeah. I hate to do it, but I am going to circle back to your tangent a second ago, Rob, about watching people on Instagram. But I'm going to take it in a different direction because growing up, I used to love playing Street Fighter 2. And I'd play it in arcades and I would mm -hmm. play Mortal Kombat. I would just play all kinds of fighting games like just next to somebody in an arcade. No big deal. So yeah. when online gaming became a thing, I was like, yes, I'm going to play Street Fighter 2 for days on end against people from all over the world. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and I got my ass handed to me 
hand over fist yeah. by nine-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what is going on right now? Yeah. And then I realized, oh, wait, you're 32. You work eight to nine hours yep. a day. And this person barely goes to school, doesn't do anything. All they do is sit in front of a TV and play video games. You have no chance in hell of this ever being good for you. You're mm -hmm. done. <laughs> That's so funny you say that. And so I feel like for if you're an older student in music and you see something like that, remember you got a life too. Right. Like you you don't have the time to sit there and play the same solo for nine hours when you come home from school before you go to sleep. Yep. You have other things to do. So you can't be down on yourself for not being able to do something that somebody else can do because you don't have the time for it. Yeah. And, you, and there's one guaranteed way, 1,000%, one, no matter, just boom, right in your face, guaranteed way to never be that good. Sit here and bitch about it. Yep. You want like, <laughs> yeah. just try, just try. And if you, if you yeah. get happy, maybe you can beat a couple nine-year-olds, but the 10-year-olds still beat you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know what is a good, you guys bring up such beautiful points. It's awesome. The other thing that I found that is successful, because like later on in my life, I, I really realized like how true this is too, is just have fun with it. It's, yeah. it, the second it starts to get in, you get in your head about it, you get kind of downtrodden about it, just get in your head. Because I, I play with my, my eight-year-old. I was like, hey, I was like, let's play Mario Kart. I'm like, this is where I'll beat you for sure. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you in this, right? And, like, I'm very regimented with, with making sure that he's not in front of a screen, you know, for hours on end. So it's like he has a scheduled amount of time that he could, you know, play these things. Uh, I was like, all right, let's do it. And I last dead last all the time. I'm like, what is happening right now? And in my head, I'm not acting out, out like this in front of him. But in my head, I'm like, what the? Why why can't I just come in like 11th? Why is it 12th? <laughs> you know? Uh, but then it's not just having fun with it and making fun of the game and then like made it fun, even more fun for him because it's like I'm having all this. I'm like, well, I'll just be the number one commentary guy in this and it will be the bee's knees, you know? So it's like just figure out how to have fun with it and then eventually it becomes this whole other thing. So you guys bring up great points, man. It uh, makes me want to get in the room with you guys right now and just jam. It really, it really does. Yeah. Soon, man. Soon, soon. Yeah. Although I'm a bit of a hypocrite because when I play Mario Kart with Jack, I trash talk like a mother. And if, <laughs> and if, and if he beats me, I'm like, you cheated. Yeah. No, we didn't. Yeah, you did. You obviously cheated. You still see how I didn't shoot you with shells the entire race? Yeah. Just remember that next time. Yeah, you're playing yeah. cheap. Come on. Stop playing the one player that always has the, the, the spike shell that goes all the way to first, you jerk. That blue one. I hate that blue shell. Yeah. All right. So yes. I got I to gotta tell you, Rob, right now, we're having this great conversation and it's awesome. And the only thing that I can think of in the back of my mind is you owning a JPM 100 before I do. They're very expensive. It really pisses me off, man. They're very expensive. I think you should absolutely do it. I think it'll be one of the best guitars you ever. I owned. like. I like how he's the devil on your shoulder, as well as the devil on the other shoulder. Like, I really don't like how you have. But at the same time, if we could just go ahead and buy well, because it. If, if he gets it someday, <laughs> inevitably, I'll be able to put my hands on it and experience that wonderful. Yeah, look at this. this is nonsense. Look. Okay, so here's a, ca a camel one coming from Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam. So definitely, oh, don't, don't don't get a camel. Definitely you, legit. Yeah, but no, don't don't grand. get a camo. How much you, I can't see? Four, four grand. Yeah. You you Plus, want a, a P3 or P2? I want this one. Now, in the, for the sake of time, because we're at a forty oh, minute mark, and I know you have. Yeah. Oh, that is. Oh, put that back up. Put that back up. That's, that's a, oh, replica. a replica. Yeah, oh. that's just like a little model guitar version, but that would be the so, one. But that's that yeah, cool. So just a little, uh, uh, you know, a, a more related tangent. <laughs> um, that is one of the best guitars I've ever played. I've only ever seen one in person 
and it was at Victor's House of Music on 17. And it was one of those very rare instances. The only other time I can think of something like this happening is uh, playing an original PB Wolfgang, where I sat down with an instrument and I played better because I was playing that. Yeah. That just everything about it just facilitated playing faster and playing better and playing more accurately. And it had such a, such a sweet sound. And at the time I was like, oh man, $1,300, I can't get that. Right. And they knocked that building down. So now you can never get it. It's over. Yeah. It's gone, gone forever. Oh man. So, uh, you know, just for the sake of time, because we're at 40 minutes here and I know we want to talk about uh, more stuff. We started five minutes behind. So we really have 15 left. Oh yeah. Um, it's a negative. Do you guys have a favorite track on this album? Metropolis. Yeah, mine too. I think it's, uh, it's gotta be pull me under because the, the guitar tone and the, uh, the, just the rhythm that just the whole guitar sound on that song yeah. uh, it's one of my like i said in the taylor swift article that the black album guitar tone from james and stephen carpenter's white pony guitar tone are my three favorite guitar sounds ever and uh the petrucci one is something that i don't know if rob ever noticed it like that i tried duplicating so many times i can't say the number of steve specials humbuckers that I've had in various different guitars that I've owned. And each time I get one, I'm like, oh man, like it gets you so close to the Petrucci tone, but not quite perfect. And I think like, with, oh. with the tri-axis, you got pretty close to it. You're able the, to dial it. Yeah, with the tri-axis. And I think the, I had a Steve special in the red guitar for a short period of time. And that was the closest I think I ever got. I had it in that black and white uh, swirl Ibanez that I had for a while. And that was really close to that with the dual rectifier or dual or triple rectifier got me very, very close. But that's oh, like I, I think on a daily basis, because that's just how I am about buying a guitar just for the sake of just like get a guitar with a basswood body, some sort of floating bridge and putting a Steve special in it just because I want that sound. And it's not reproducible in, by any other means except having that pickup. Um, so sweet. Yeah, I agree. That's my second favorite track on that album, uh, Metropolis. When I was younger too, I wanted Metropolis to be about the movie. The movie, my favorite. Yeah, and it's it's still <laughs> not like you could try to dissect lyrics. You know, it's 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 kind of it goes everywhere. It's I funny know. you say that, dude, because when I was listening to it this week, I thought of you because I know how much you love that movie, and I was yeah. trying to see if there was any reference, but I didn't. I would have brought it up, but I just didn't. Ah, uh, yeah, no, I read the lyrics over and over again, even with you know older set of eyes and ears, and I was like, mm, no, I mean, I could probably make it work but no i don't think it's about that at all <laughs> wanted it so badly <laughs> well something that i did want to bring up um what do you guys think of uh take the time it's track three on this album i love it it's so poppy and catchy you know me it's, it's it's so poppy and catchy and i feel like the the ways that like the clean guitar like the the funk kind of like spanky kind of clean guitar yeah. in the first verse it, like just changes everything in that song all at once and then when it comes back in after the first chorus, like the clean guitar comes back in in a different way. And it's just mm -hmm. so, so pretty. Petrucci's clean tone is amazing. And just the way that whole song, I feel like how the whole album undulates, that song in itself undulates a lot, that it takes on a lot of different personalities and yes. tones throughout. And it's just so, so cool. It's, it was one of my favorite songs when I first started listening to the album, yeah. you know, 25 yeah. some odd years ago. 
Well, what's what's amazing about that song is one of, probably my third favorite is I'm a sucker for audio sampling, and I think if it's done well, uh, in that's why I have a penchant for for hip hop genre artists that that do it really well. And reminds me of Paul's Boutique by BC Boys in '89, where it was an iconic record sampling, and it became its own musical instrument. And they do it so well here. Um, I love this song too because it's based upon like all the different members wrote a part going through what they were going through with you know all the changes that had happened leading up to this. And so they all had their own hand in it. And like you said with Petrucci, like that, that at 420 mark, it starts with that sprawling spread of just instantaneously jumping around with the solo, just like, boom, I'm going somewhere else. Boom, I'm somewhere else. Like to be able to do that, it's just absolutely mesmerizing. You get so, I must have rewound that like 13 times. I'm like, gotta hear it again. Gotta hear it again. Ah, oh! and each time I'm like getting goosebumps, like, Whoa! Got to do it again. I'm like, it's just amazing to watch someone just like, like a light switch. Goes, click, click, I'm going here now. Click, click, I'm going here. Click, there. And it's just like, wow, it's just insanity. That man is just insane. No, he's he's bonkers. But that's insane. Speaking of the solo as well, uh, it, you know, not in parallel to Petrucci's playing with the solo, how he goes all those different directions, like you were saying, when he decides to pull back a little bit and just play rhythm, and Kevin Moore takes over soloing on the synths. Equally awesome. Yeah. Ridiculous. Straight punch in the face. You're like, oh. And that, that's like another, like a perfect example. I'm so glad you brought that up because it lets me tie into my Kevin Moore love here for some reason. Woo. That like he he played exactly what needed to be there at the time and so, so perfectly. And his tone and his feel and everything just. It's almost I, vocal, his line. Yeah. I, like I, I would, you're a singer, like a, scatting those, you know, that. Yeah, I, I would have loved to hear another album or like the next album with Kevin Moore on it. To what see it would have been different. I, I think there was just some tension there, and he just didn't see around. Still, like, did he do anything else? Is he alive? I, I didn't look. I kind of had a rough week of work, so I just I didn't really have a lot of chance to do too too much. Just for anyone watching this, you know, when we first signed on today, uh, it was pre six a.m. for James, so <laughs> he was just ready to go, just like this. No I'm all grumpy. <laughs> well on a work day i'm typically awake like 10 10 to 5 or so my computer has to be on at five o'clock all oh, you guys i ran to the store right before this to grab some eggs <laughs> man i could go for eggs uh next year my goal is to have chickens so i can get get it started on that can you have them in your where you're this, yeah like, so i found out uh yeah so i was looking into it when i first moved out here i'm like oh if we move, when we move from where we're living to where we are now i was like i want to make sure that we, that's something we were able to do and then uh my neighbor two down two doors down was like uh you know we can he's like i your yard is perfect i personally can't because the way uh where i had what little yard i have uh it's too close to your living quarters and it's also a little bit too close to the buildings behind him whereas at my house the, the corner edge of where my fence is to the alley i can so i was like Ooh. can a chicken survive the chicago winters yes so i have a good friend uh of mine and his wife have uh, chickens and they're, they're kind of like my test i'm like so how's it go with the winter he's like you just got to make sure he's like which you're buying chickens here anyway you're getting ones that are you know this is they're hardy for this this weather so it's fine he's like, all you, in there. you don't really even need to do that just set the coupon fire later on in the, in the year that's inevitable <laughs> What is this structure? <laughs> not Must the whole group, just the roof. You just set the roof on fire, you douse it. Then Christy, I don't like the electrical. <laughs> it's not safe in this house. Oh my God, you covered. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
Hey, insurance is listening. It was a complete dumbass accident. I know. <laughs> I think you know that's be, it's it's interesting. It smells like fried chicken out here. <laughs> like for me, with like the whole vegan vegetarian, um, you know, belief system, which I hate saying, it's so fucking polarizing. But eggs is such a gray area. Now I won't eat a commercially produced egg because they throw the baby chicken, the baby boy chicken, to the grinder. But if I had my own chicken, what's wrong with that? You know, because you just no have females died. that are producing eggs that aren't being fertilized, so it's it's totally fine. They're just doing their thing, and you're taking care of them. They're, I mean, right. they're not period. disrupting the circle of life, so to speak. They are still right. great controllers of pests. I mean, they and you know, you're providing them a healthy life. You know, it's also good. For, it teaches you know that my children how to be better appreciators of, of just life and caring for sure. them and understanding and just being you know compassionate it's important being. to know where where your food comes from definitely yeah so you know sustainability is a really important thing too like maybe not giving into even if you find a, an egg company that is sustainable you go you know it's you're not giving into the machine too much too so like that, those are all things but like it has to be done in a in a in a way that like is, is correct you know is that laughing in the background as Sam laughs, she's tiptoeing around like, like no one can hear her. She's laughing at herself, tiptoeing around. This is open mic. No big deal. No one's going to notice. It's 8.53. I, I could see that so well in my mind's eye. She may as well just be on camera. <laughs> but you think she's so stealthy. Do you guys want to do side B or you want to keep going with this? What do we got? We got, uh, we got eight got like minutes with side B. Well, we talked about doing three pieces of media that all music fans and lovers of art should just be aware of, you know, and it okay. may not be, you know, the top three, but three that maybe that we uh, kind of listen to the most. Or do you want to just keep going with uh, we're having a blast with Dream Theater? So I'm OK. I'm curious to hear what that next part would be. Maybe just the one for now and then we'll loop back around. Yeah, let's do I just it. revised my list. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, James, Gad, go for it. Let's I don't have a list. I actually so I own this on VHS. Uh, years ago, years and years and years ago, and um, there's no longer a VCR thing anywhere in my house. So I uh, repurchased it on DVD. And last night, thinking that we were doing this today, went to grab it. I was like, oh, I'm going to watch that. I haven't seen it in so long. And uh, I found I hadn't taken it out of the plastic. The, like the wrap was still across the top, the little oh stick God. on piece. And um, I was like, oh, man, I, I have done myself a disservice by not opening this sooner. And it's the DVD re-release oh, of A cool. Year and a Half of Life of Metallica. Yeah. One, this used to be two VHS. Now it's just one DVD. And it has all of the studio stuff from the first part and all of the live stuff from the second part. Ah. This is quintessential ownership. If you are a fan of music, if you like Metallica and are not aware that this exists, buy it immediately. Um, there is zero regret to be had. You will get to see a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff from the making of the Black Album. And you'll get to see a ton of live stuff from the uh, from the live touring from the Black Album, which went on for. It's still going on now, actually. Still <laughs> I was just gonna um, say that. Get out of my head. But uh, it's it's a it's a great thing to watch. And watching it yesterday, just I, I was instantly in 1992, 1993 watching it because uh, like the the nostalgia. And they're just different people then. It's like yeah. a little bit more innocent for all of them. And Lars is still a jerk. James is James is like James is like such a I don't want to call him a baby but he looks so young and just his whole demeanor is completely different than it is now. Kirk literally is a baby and Jason Newstead is 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 like a clown. He's so funny. And uh, like going back and rewatching it yesterday, I have to apologize to everybody that I know that I never gave Jason Newstead the credit that he really deserved and I gave him credit. 
but like going back and watching him track his stuff for the Black Album, freaking brought the fire. Yeah, he was so so good, and his bass tone was rock solid. And yep, people gave him shit for playing with a pick. Who cares? Right. It, it was exactly what that album needed, and they captured it great. So sorry, that was a, a tangent of my own tangent. But I remember watching that, you know, with you. I mean, I feel like the musician who I am came from that double VHS thing. Like we watched that so often, I felt like I knew them. I felt like they were our friends. Yeah. Right. I have three copies of that on DVD. <laughs> So I can let students borrow it. That's so awesome. at any point in time, back when we were in person, someone always had one. It's like library books. Two of them were always out in circulation because it's just required, that's mandatory. Awesome. Yeah, oh, that's that so, so Well, cool, gentlemen, man. nice. Yes. Dude, I literally could cry because of that. That's so awesome. A point to your one comment. I still, Rob, you, was it Rob or James? Did you send the link this week um, This week with the, um, it was like you, them jamming together and then Kirk, walks in he still looks like a baby to this day like he's still like this young face like his hairline may have changed but like he's still this young he's got that youthful like hey what's up guys You're like yes what's up yeah that surfer like dude yes. like yeah it's so funny yeah. like something i noticed with kirk and it's funny you bring that up i i find watching kirk in a studio setting while holding a guitar he still seems completely confused <laughs> Time yes yeah sitting with an instrument Surfer. live it's like it's attached to him but when he's sitting in a studio he's just like this is like a complete confusion yeah. <laughs> it's hysterical yeah. to watch and he's owns, brilliant. great you suggestion watch james the um super quick on kirk you gotta find videos of him when he's talking about he has this uh 59 gold top uh not gold top but a, a 59 sunburst les paul that was owned by peter green from uh fleetwood mac originally and they call it Greeny, and it's like one of the most sought after fifty nine Les Pauls ever. And there was rumors he paid like a million dollars for it, but that was disproven to be less. But just watch him talk about that, and that encompasses the goofy childlike wonderment of I have this guitar. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's always been one of my favorites. He's really really fun to watch. Nice. nice. So right, what, Brian. what do you what do you guys got? Go for it. All right, so um, I got uh the film that takes you into the heart of the beast. Metal, the headbanger's journey. So there you go. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, this is a great. I got introduced years ago. I think on VH1 had aired it. Um, it's a two disc um, special edition. I'm. Um, it's it's awesome. You're welcome into the life of this lifelong headbanger, Sam Dunn, who's an anthropologist, and um, he does this documentary, and it's just, it's it's amazing. Like he goes over. There's numerous interviews and excerpts with with numerous artists. I mean. Tony Iommi, Bruce Dickinson, D. Snyder, Alice Cooper, Rob Zombie, Vince Neil, Ronnie James Dio, Lemmy. I mean, so many, so many bands are featured in here. Um, he goes over the music, the lyrics, the the artists, the live shows, the, the culture and history that comes along with the genre of metal, um, physical copies of music, and how as friends they used to come together and like, you know, look at their album covers, who had the sickest lyric, who had the coolest art cover. Um, and then within the subgenre of like things like death metal, going over like the controversies that lie within within that that subgenre. And there's this beautiful um that he goes through like this um because he's an anthropologist, he he makes a, a family tree of the metal, how it starts from the 60s, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, and Deep Purple, and how how did it affect? How did you get punk? How did you get pop metal and how did you get all these things and, and new american metal like how does it all come where does it form and when you look at this tree and you can find it online now it's just phenomenal it's a great he does an amazing job um there's truly a love it's great to hear the voices of, of these artists talk about um 
this culture. And, and that's what it is. And I think a lot of people hear metal, they hear noise, and they think that there's nothing to be said there. Um, there's not great musicianship or great story um, being told. And there is. And it's a great culture. People, he goes to like, you know, the Wacken Fest. So you get to see these festivals that are iconic. Um, and it's it just, it's, I can't, I can't recommend this enough. I mean, check it out. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. It's called Metal, a Headbangers Ball. Uh, Sam Dunn, he has his own, I think, YouTube channel where he reviews albums, stuff like that. Phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. Just, I can't say enough great things about it. I've watched this many times. Don't yeah. quote me on it. I think that's on Prime. I Is think it? it's on Prime. I'm not, right. I'm not I'd sure. I'd love to rewatch it. It's great. Yeah. I remember, I remember that it would be like in parts on like VH1 late at night. And so yeah. Good. It's one of those things when it comes on, you're like, bye, I have to watch this now. Yeah. I may pass yep. out during it, but I'm watching it. Yep. Same thing with Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> so mine is this. Have you guys seen this? Ooh, I have no. not seen I always mean to watch it. And so I, never I believe have. That is this is, it is on Prime. And it is basically a documentary about all of these different um, sidemen or women. As Liberty DeVito from uh, Billy Joel, Phil X, Bon Jovi, Eric Singer, Ray Parker Jr., Oh, wow. Rudy Sarzo, Kenny Arnoff, Steve Lukather, Newstead, Steve Vai, Anita Strauss. Like a lot of these people, like I literally just went down this list of people I wanted to interview because um, it's so fascinating to hear the stories of people who play in bands with other people. And, you know, it's like you're not really a member of the band. You're just an employee sort of. And right. it's the etiquette of how to live that life, not get swallowed up by it. And sort of ride that wave because like even like the Liberty DeVito story, like he was part of Billy Joel. He was on every one of those iconic records. And one day Joel was like, he talks about some like they were flying home from tour uh, for Easter break and Billy Joel um, wouldn't let him on the plane with him. And he had room and he's like, no. And all of a sudden he got too big that he was just like, you're not. And it's like, I'm leaving out details of it. Um, and I think they've since made up, but it's just like Rob Zombie talks about like how he would pluck people from, um, Ozzy's band and like they talk about like anyone who plays in Alice Cooper's band like their pedigree is the best so like that's another source a pool of great young talent um, this guy Jason, Jason Hook who plays in Five Finger Death Punch but his first gig was uh, the sideman for um, Mandy Moore oh, wow. or talks about the guitar player who plays for Pink who's just an incredible musician I forget yes. his name I apologize Jeremy something but it's just Hired Gun it's on Prime so if you have Prime it's free to watch for you but it's that on my list right now. Absolutely incredible. Like I've watched it multiple times, um, bought it on VHS, then rebought the Blu-ray because um, it has like extra features. But you got to, as a musician, like you just got to. You bring up a great point. So like, that's what's going to bother me. Like I'll watch that now. But like the fact that you just said like, so mine, mine has, it's two discs. So that second disc has special features, extended interviews, right? Uh, look at that old school flippy. Um that's gonna bother me. I don't like that. Like you'll go to buy, you'll spend good money and like, oh, the new Star Wars is, you know, so you'll buy it, yeah. right? But there's no extras, there's no deleted scenes, there's no yeah. like it's so that's what what the hell is with that? Like you're like, like why isn't a, like the lyric book with it? Why isn't like sometimes that is sometimes like that's gonna bother me? Like you have yeah. this extended, I have to go buy this. This is like copy. it's empty on the outside, like there should be liner notes Ooh. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. that makes me crazy too. That makes me crazy, but like you go to buy that streaming, you'll pay good money for it, and like I'm not going to get what you have, like, or the second disc worth of stuff. And I just right. irritate right. the hell out of me. I hate rebuying stuff and I do it so often. It's terrible. Like, I can't tell you how many copies of The Godfather and Goodfellas and Scarface I have because every time they put out a new one with new stuff, like, oh, it's in the metal case now. Oh, I need that. <laughs> like, it's just outrageous, but whatever. But it's we can funny. go. I, 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have to go teach. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know what? This is a great side B. Let's uh, next week when we think about side B, let's just continue because we we chose we're gonna do three. So we'll, today we'll just be one for each of us, and let's do the other two next week. Definitely, I love this. I got yeah. some great ones. Yeah, this is a good. I one. know we all do. What are you gonna say, James, real fast? Oh, I was gonna say I took out the liner notes for Year and a Half in the Life of Metallica, and it just shows what was basically on the back of the oh, box cool. when you bought it. But then I looked on the back of it, and I was like, oh, I wonder what's on the other side, and it's just black. It's a waste. Isn't that metal. Well, maybe, yeah, I guess. No, a black super guy. metal. <laughs> no, it's metal, dude. I was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait. Damn you, black well, because, like, Because there's so much to say. Like, these time capsules, like, I just saw Jack White put out some footage um, when they were doing that first, the, their third album, but the one that had Fell in Love with a Girl. Or maybe it was even Elephant that had a Seven Nation Army. But he's like, wouldn't it be great if someone had a bunch of footage that just resurfaced from this recording session and then it was a quick montage? of some footage. So like people have so much cool stuff in the vaults and I understand it's theirs. Maybe they don't want to show it, but as a fan, we've discussed this. I would love to hear every second they're in the studio. I'd love to watch it. I would watch that. If it was, you know, a justice league's worth of content, I'd watch it. I'd watch it every day. It's part of the vernacular so, now. It's just this leaks. Yeah. <laughs> a, a year and a half of life of Metallica Snyder cut is actually eight, eight hours now. Snyder was involved with that? No. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, this is uh, this is a good one. This is really fun. This popped yeah. me up for the day. And um, you know, when you guys watch this, please, please dig into this record and dig into their whole catalog. It's a great band. Even yes. if you're not someone who is drawn to music because of oh, I love guitar or I love drums, just listen to it. If you're a guitar player, you'll get something from the drummer. If you're a drummer, you get something from the guitar player. If you're a songwriter, you'll get something yeah. from how they can take such complex music and have it have a hook and have it be yeah. lyrical and, and whimsical and singable. Yeah. So. Yep. There's something here for everybody. Yeah. Right. Nice job, guys. Nice and I'll do your homework. I want to see a year and a half from you and metal and hired gun. Everyone needs to watch who's watching. And uh, well, we should build a list. We should have like a running this idea. We'll talk about it after. Yeah. Cool. Well, guys, thanks for, for watching. And uh, this has been fun. All right. And read James's article. Yes. On, uh, the thing. Oh, James yeah. wrote an amazing article, guys. It's on the uh, Record Talk um, Facebook page. It's incredible. Um, not going to dive too much into it, but he he talks about what Taylor Swift just did recently. He draws a great comparison with Metallica. It's a phenomenally well written article. Uh, I can't say enough great things about it. I think you guys, it's it's going to make whether you're a Taylor Swift fan or not, you're going to want to be like, I got to go, I got to listen. Doctor James said, and more of that to come. So we look forward to it. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right, boys and girls. Until next time, rock and roll. Everyone, have a good one. Take care.